Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of the Closers Inner Circle Podcast, hosted by Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay III on your Partner in Success Radio. Now, Ben joins me each Wednesday where we discuss sales mastery and honestly, anything else that crosses our minds as we chat and study Ben's famous sales books, The Closers. Typically, we're working on part two, but we also have part one that we'll get to eventually. Part two is the good one. So last week we covered page 89, Get Stupid, that's all in capital letters. So be sure to download and listen on your partner in Success Radio or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. I just built a brand new website, so please check it out, yourpartnerinsuccessradio.com. And our topic today is mastering sales objections. So get ready to sharpen your sales skills, refine your approach, and transform objections into opportunities. Now, this chapter is titled, The Real Objection is You, and it dives into the intriguing realm of sales. It unveils a crucial perspective on unexpected objections. And President Harry Truman had some insightful words that resonate. As he declared, the only thing new in the whole world is the history you don't know. On another topic altogether, I think we're figuring that out as a world right about now. So author Ben Gay III suggests that when a salesperson is caught off guard by a surprise objection, it signifies one of two scenarios. Either the salesperson has completely neglected to thoroughly study their product or their service, so remaining, you know, thereby remaining unaware of its inherent objections, that's a critical knowledge every sales professional should possess. And alternatively, Ben poses the possibility of a salesperson carrying around a personal case of objections, inadvertently infecting every interaction. I have done that, by the way. You kind of talk yourself, oh, they're not going to be able to afford that. Oh, and you talk yourself out of it. So the stage is set for exploration and resolution now what? Ben, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you very much, Denise. Pleasure to be with you as always. And you. As you were explaining uh, today's subject, the real objection is you. I was thinking when I was listening to what you were saying, I said, well, I can just say thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, we had a good day. That's really, yeah, that's uh, really right on point. I, I do some work, not much yet, but I'm going to be doing some work with a company in Israel that uh, last time I talked to my client there, by the way, I heard explosions in the background. It's an interesting place to be running a sales and motivation type operation. But uh, uh, they work with the Israeli military and intelligence, and they've developed a program or tailored a program to the sales world that uh, you, you you video and or audio someone talking and it picks up the micro things that most people would miss. You know, this is where you lost him or her. This is where they expressed a, pi a price objection you didn't hear. This is where they express they don't like you, <laughs> which is always a problem in selling and so on. But what, they, what they've been able to do, I'm not sure how practical it really is in the real world, but what they've been able to do is pick up through technology what we as super salespeople should be able to pick up on ourselves. When I lose a sale or I'm about to lose a sale, I know it, even if the prospect doesn't consciously know it yet. I can hear the uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, like when I close a sale, I usually know before the prospect knows, I feel an atmospheric pressure change uh, in the room or the environment or in my head or whatever. And I know they've been, oh, if, if, if it's by phone and I'm making notes or something, I start writing up the order right then. Even though they haven't said yes yet, I know it's going to be a yes because I'm studying the micro reactions to what we're talking about. That, ben, uh, I'm glad you said that because, and I know I've mentioned this to you or somebody on, on the podcast, this is not something new that I just came up with, but everything I do is, is <clears throat> excuse me, virtual. You're never going to see me on camera. So I have to be able to listen between the lines. It's critical. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if it's empathy. I don't know if it's just active listening. I don't know if it's a gift. Sometimes, honestly, I just think it's a gift. But that leads in, you talked about expressions. Even without a camera, even without looking eye to eye at somebody, if you are good at what you do and you really are trying to do the best for your customer, your client, your consumer, and you're not trying to just sell them something so you can go pay the house note, you're going to almost hear and visually see in your head those micro expressions where they're like, okay, he just rolled his eyes. Oh, I think, I think his head just went back like he'd been smacked. You know, you can (laughs) feel it coming. Or even looks bored. Exactly. That's, you know, if you're speaking in front of a group of people, you know, the guy in the fourth row in the yellow shirt with his arms folded, doesn't like you and isn't paying attention. No, he's gonna he, go he, to he doesn't have to raise it. Yeah, he right. doesn't have to raise his hand and tell me he doesn't like me. I already know it. So when when this happens with people, and I think it's very important that we do as salespeople, and listen, I'm a web developer, I own a digital marketing agency. You wouldn't think that I'm a salesperson. Well, how do you think my agency thrives? I have to be able to sell my services. And you have to learn to sometimes sit down and shut up, listen, or ask very, very good questions and then sit down and shut up and listen. That's right out of Sales Closing Power, uh, the book I wrote for Jay Douglas Edwards after he died. Um, One of his most famous things was, and it applies, it's not just after a closing question. A lot of times it's any time in the presentation. But he said, when you ask a closing question, shut up. And then he would scream, you shut up, and so on. But uh, you got to give them a chance to participate. I, I think most, I've never really measured it, but I think most good sales presentations, the uh, customer talks 75 to 80% of the time, and the salesperson listens, and then the salesperson talks 20, 25% of the time, hopefully based on what he just listened to. I quote this frequently, but it was said of Nelson Mandela that he was a great speaker and a brave man and um, spent years in a, locked in a prison cell and so on and came out and became president of South Africa and so on. It was an amazing story. But they said his real power was that he was a dynamic listener. So he got the most out of, he sucked the, the juice out of every conversation he was in and put himself in a better position to help the other person or to persuade the other person. So it's just such a crucial skill. And one of the things I talk about frequently is because people talk, you know, I like to build up to the close and then I, 30 minutes after they start, hit them with the close and so on. Well, that's wonderful, but that's never worked in real selling. Numerically, it's worked. There are people who are loud, obnoxious salespeople who make a a good deal of money because they call on a lot of people and they yell at a lot of people. But percentage-wise, it's horrible. They're working two or three times harder than they need to work. So the, the point that usually they're talking about building up to the close. I say, let me tell you when the close is made. Most sales are made, lost, or heavily influenced in the first 10 to 15 seconds of the encounter with the individual, especially in person. When they look at you and their little computer-like subconscious brains compares you to everyone they've ever met, how you look, how you talk, how you walk, uh, how you dress, how you carry yourself, conduct yourself, your handshake, whatever. And then from that position, which can be high if you remind them of people they know, like, and love, and trust, and so on, uh, gives you a real advantage. But you got to know it's going on. If, on the other hand, they run you through that little computer scan of theirs, and you remind them of people they don't like, know, or trust, uh, then you got a hole that you got to dig out of. It may, it's not undoable, but I, I always maintain why would you deliberately put yourself in a hole 
so you can prove what a good, great salesperson you are an hour later by digging your way out of it. Right. Sales infiltration, one of the best chapters or best things I've ever written about selling. It's the last chapter in the closers part two. For those of you who have your books with you, starts on page 257. It is dynamite. But what I was able to finally do, put down there, was the nuances and subtleties of selling. Nowhere in there is there a hard close or a double back, triple whammy, double alternative close or all the stuff that sales trainers have taught over the years to justify their existence. Uh, it, it's the, the nuances and subtleties of what really makes a person, a person work. The way I did it was I had to get myself out of the equation. And we've all seen sales trainers on stage talk about you do this and you say this and they'll say this and you say this. Well, as some famous general once said, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. No sales plan ever survives direct contact with the customer. So you have to be aware and subtly making adjustments all the time. And that's very difficult to teach. Some people just sort of have it. Jimmy Rucker, the greatest salesperson I ever personally worked with, uh, he was also my running buddy in high school, so I've known him forever. Um, Jimmy was a great salesperson, but a horrible sales trainer, because he'd get on the rare occasion where I could force him or trick him into going to the front of the room, he'd say, well, just watch me and do what I do. And so sales infiltration, I was able to finally, in a moment of inspiration, write down what it was Jimmy Rucker did and Zig did on stage. Zig was a showman. It was a nightclub act. Sitting at a table working with someone, he was a, a master closer, a sales infiltrator, whether he knew the terms or not. He was very good at what he did. So I wrote down what Zig really did, what Jimmy Rucker really did. Uh, and uh, all all of the people that, pardon me one second. Somebody broke through my barrier and the phone rang. I apologize. Uh, so anyway, I wrote down what they really, <clears throat> what they really did in real life when I was working with them. And uh, hang on one second. Now they're gone, I think. Uh, the uh, issue then was to put on paper where other people could study it and replicate it, what the great salespeople really did. I had a mentor in the early days. He's still a friend in his 90s now uh, named Merle Frazier. And I would sit with Merle and watch him close sales. And he was very good. But I never could catch where the close was. And I, I was young and naive, so I didn't know much yet. But I, I would watch him and I'd think, well, I'd like to have the results Merle has, but I don't see what he did. But what he did was, he didn't know the term, he infiltrated them. He sold them on Merle Frazier. Whatever Merle Frazier said was the truth. Whatever Merle Frazier said to do, you should probably do. And that just gives you all sorts of mileage. A funny story about Jimmy Rucker one day uh, talking about what we're talking about now, selling yourself and making sure you're not the objection. Jimmy Rucker would endear himself to the point he could say anything. And I've written it down in sales infiltration. First, get permission to be able to speak truth to the customer. We show you how to do that. Jimmy would become such close buddies with him. I think they thought they were related 20, 30 minutes into the talk. But one guy one night, I can remember exactly where we were sitting in the grand ballroom of the uh, Georgian Terrace Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. And the guy listened. To, he'd been through the meeting almost an hour long with the film meeting on why they should join. Then he's sitting with Jimmy and Jimmy's drawing the circles and everything. And he said, well, what I'd like to do is become, a, I think it was a general distributor, about $5,000, then $50,000 in today's money. I'd like to do that, but I didn't bring my checkbook. And this is back when you, before everybody had 87 credit cards. 
if they paid a small amount, it was cash. If paid a large amount, it was by check. And he didn't have his checkbook. And Jimmy stood up. They're sitting across one of those hotel-type tables. Jimmy stood up, reached over, pulled the guy's lapel back, reached into his suit pocket, uh, vest pocket, and said, oh, oh, sure you do. And he pulled out the checkbook. He says, here it is. Oh, my gosh. And the guy, well, I would have slugged him, seriously. Yeah, yeah, me too. I would have needed, honestly, bail money would have been employed. <laughs> Well, if I had done it to you, probably so. If anybody else had done it to you, probably so. I promise you, Jimmy could have gotten away with it. Uh, or, or, yeah, I don't think he would have dug to your purse, like but, but whatever. But this guy thought, <laughs> oh, my God, he's going to be hit. And the guy laughed and said, oh, my, I didn't, I forgot I had it. Or I didn't think I had it. All and right. wrote a check for $5,000. But you have to be in tight with them. To do, I don't advocate doing that, but you no. have to be in tight with them to do it and get away with it. And if the real objection is you, then you've got serious problems. You got to get over that. I sell, I sell in this order, Denise. I sell me first, Ben Gay first, the company, whoever I'm working with at the time, second. The product is third. Usually, you know, if you're selling the car, they know what a car is, it has four wheels, steering wheel, accelerator, brake, etc. Uh, this isn't the first car they've ever looked at, bought, been in, whatever. Uh, what they're really looking for is to get a good value for their money and not get screwed over by a dishonest salesperson. I mean, that's that's the battle. So the battle isn't convincing them that General Motors has been making cars for over 100 years. It makes good cars. The battle is to, to decide if they can trust you because at the risk of doubling back and promoting something I do all the time, the phrase I came up with many years ago was people buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. And if that isn't you, you got a problem. I don't care how good the product is, you right. got a problem. And that leads me back down. I was writing this down while you were talking. I wrote down Merle Frazier and then I wrote down Jimmy Rucker because we always hear about Jimmy. I think I like him. Except <laughs> what part. I don't like that. <laughs> but but what the word that I wrote down and I starred both ends of it was integrity. Yep. If the people you are talking with and trying to sell something to or for whatever it is that you're doing, if they trust your integrity your gold. Yep. I would literally and have on a couple occasions trust my life to Jimmy Rucker. And I would trust anything I have. Uh, Merle Frazier and I, because of the age difference, we're never in a situation where he could save my life. <laughs> but he saved a lot of sales for me over the years. I would trust Merle Frazier with my checkbook, my wife, anything. And, and therefore, all Merle has to do is call me, and he and he, and he wouldn't call me if he was selling a product or service that he knew I wasn't interested in and wasn't qualified to buy financially, geography, religiously, whatever. He wouldn't be talking to me anyway. But if he called me and said, Ben, in his heavy Southern accent, Ben, this is Merle, and the reason I'm calling you today is, and there was a product or service for sale, I, I might ask a couple of token questions, but basically I'll buy because I'll buy anything from Merle because I know he wouldn't call me if it wasn't something I needed or should need or didn't know I needed or whatever, but I, I would buy it. And that's the person you want to be when you're selling. You want to make sure, and, and we also talk in that chapter about uh, not dragging objections around with you. If you think it's too high priced, they will think it's too high priced. So don't sell anything that isn't. Find a quality product that's competitively priced uh, and that you can back up and stand behind and so on and spend your time, your days, talking to, communicating with people qualified to buy it. Exactly. And I have done that. I'm not so bad about it as I used to be. And by the way, Merle Frazier and I are friends on Facebook. Tell him, Facebook, tell him hi for me the next time you chat with him. And vice versa. He is 
a top quality person, Denise. I mean, they don't get any better than Merle Frazier. I'll tell him hello. I mean, I chat with him back and forth or, you know, like and dislike mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But, you know, I always recognize who he is when I see him pop up. But to get back to what you're talking about with those objections, listen, when I first started my company, I was operating from a, can I afford this? Well, how can, you know, would I buy this? And I didn't know enough to to understand what my strengths were, what I was really bringing to the table, what the customer could expect, re- reasonably and rationally expect from me. And I always over-deliver, but I always underpriced, which meant mm-hmm. I was traveling to get the next work so I could go ahead and get the other one paid for. It was ridiculous. And I had a come to Jesus talk a lot of years ago. And then your book, of course, just reinforces it for me. But I am what I am. And I bring to the table what I bring. And if you can't afford it, I'll do my best to find you somebody that you maybe can work with, or maybe I just don't like you and I don't want to take you anyway. It happens. But I will do my best to help you one way or another, but I no longer undervalue my services. I'm not, I just, I had to learn that. It was a tough slog. Hmm. I'm with you. Went through that myself. Today, the, the younger people call that imposter syndrome. Yep. Where, you know, you don't feel like you're doing the right thing and you're not qualified to do it and so on. I do all that up front. I don't need an oil tanker, a seagoing oil tanker but if i was going to sell them i would find out everything there is to know i would get with the best oil tanker broker manufacturer in the world so that i could say to people this they don't come any better they don't come at any better value uh and uh, so i could sell something that i don't personally want or need and wouldn't buy under any circumstances except to immediately resell it perhaps But uh, that's an extreme exaggeration, but it's also true of other things that I've sold that I didn't personally need. But if you do, this is the best. I used to tell our chemist in particular, Mort Scott, who was the genius. He invented uh, Bromo Seltzer, Sally Hansen, Hard as Nails, and 15 other products you're aware of. He also developed most of the Holiday Magic cosmetic line for me. And he would say, well, what do you want in it? I said, I never went to a chemistry class in high school. If I did, I didn't remember it. So asking me what I want in it is is a waste of time. Here's what I want you to do more. Let me go to the front of the room and hold up a jar or a bottle of whatever product and say with a clear conscience, this is the best product made on the market you may not like the aroma or the texture or whatever that's a personal thing but i'm telling you this product is made with pharmaceutical grade ingredients done under the best of circumstances in sanitized rooms with people in white suits you know the whole thing and it can't get any better and therefore although i don't use face cream ladies this is the best, I guarantee it. And that was done by presenting a quality product that was competitively priced and so on. And sometimes it even bothered me to know the real cost, of, like in cosmetics, um, the, the markup is substantial. But if they understand the price and uh, the quality and you guarantee it and it actually does what you said it would do, uh, then I can sell it with a clear conscience. Most of the reason multi-level companies are in cosmetics and vitamins and minerals and so on is the markup. Because if you can't, if your cost uh, is more than 10% of the retail, you're in trouble. In other words, if it costs you a dollar, you have to retail it for $10 to go through the network marketing discounts and overrides and all that stuff, usually a lot more than that. But when you pick it, if I'm standing there with the old holiday magic products and I'm holding up and say, this jar is $20. And they say, well, they got one at Macy's for $500. I say, if you like the aroma uh, enough to pay that premium, fine, but it can't be any better than this. Now, once you have that belief in product, Doug Edwards used to say, 
the only difference between a salesman and a con man is belief in product. That's a simplified explanation, but there's a degree of truth in it. If I'm holding up the best product in the world, then I can tell you the best product in the world that I could find. And I tell you it's the very best. Now we're down to buying me. Am I telling you the truth? And that's the front, the important. Someday I'm going to write a series of books. I've written 35 books and we're up to, I think, the closers part five now with several other in the works. Someday I'm going to write a book called The Opening and go from there because the opening of the sale is and the middle of the sale is far more important than the close. The close becomes important when salespeople lose their nerve. They're afraid to ask for the money because they're afraid they'll hear a no, and people hate to be rejected. And that, that's oversimplified what it is. Uh, but if you're in a power position, you know what you know. Uh, you know how to sell yourself, how to sell the company, and how to sell the product. If somebody says no, it's either an objection or a condition. The objection is you haven't answered all their questions. A condition is they don't have the money, which you can't do a whole lot about. But nevertheless, uh, my attitude when I've arrived at an unbreakable condition or an objection I can't overcome. And there have been many of them. I have an 86% closing rate. I believe I've made about 100,000 face-to-face, one-on-one sales presentations. Well, 86% is marvelous. But what it tells you is uh, 16% of the time, uh, the customer listened to the wonderful Ben Gay sales presentation and said no 16,000 16, times. So you have to develop the ability to resist. If 16,000 no's wouldn't drive you out of a business, then you must really believe in the business. My attitude now is once I've checked myself mentally, internally, did I cover this? Did I cover this? Did I do my best? Is there anything I would change if I could? And the answer to that is no. Then I say to myself internally, next. Right, right. And you I'm telling you, sometimes I'm, I'm convinced that you read my screen or read my mind, but I have notes that ask Ben to discuss, discuss a situation where he faced significant objections from a potential client. How did he handle these objections and what strategies or techniques did you use to turn the situation around? And I think you pretty well got there. And Could I just me, send you my notes before we, <laughs> we wouldn't <laughs> even need to have a call anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Hitting on that, one of the things I found that really works best, because I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, I can't believe you said that or did that or whatever. Well, first I get permission up front. I'll be, I call it straight, straight selling. I will be straight with you. You be straight with me. Fair enough. Fair enough. You can ask me any question. On, I'll answer any question you have the nerve to ask. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I lay the groundwork carefully. After that, you can say or ask almost anything. It's amazing. And if you catch them lying to you, which they frequently do, they have to check with their brother-in-law in Cleveland, who's an attorney or whatever. Uh, you can say, uh-uh, no, no, we agreed moments ago not to do that to each other. You obviously have an objection or a question. Tell me what it is. And I will tell you, I don't know. It can't be solved or give you the answer to your question. So direct, directness and openness and honesty and integrity, as you mentioned a moment ago, uh, is one of the huge keys in selling. It might be the most important key in selling. I'm asked frequently, what did you learn from Dr. Napoleon Hill? And I told you one time I was up in front of a seminar and they say, what are the three most important things Dr. Hill taught you. Well, I could, given time and a legal pad, I could give you 500 things he taught me, but caught unaware in front of a crowd and they only want three. I thought to myself, Lord, don't fail me now. And I've heard myself saying, number one, integrity, integrity in all things. Number two, and this might have been aimed primarily at me because I'm I have that shiny object disease where I'm easily distracted, except when I remain, remind myself not to be distracted. 
number two was focus. And number three was action. And people are always reading Thinking Grow Rich, looking for the deep, dark secrets. Uh, I read somewhere the other day that action is mentioned, seven, I think I, I may be wrong, but I think it was mentioned 75 times in Thinking Grow Rich. Well, here's two things about Thinking Grow Rich, the most popular book, self-development book ever written by Dr. Napoleon Hill. The deep secret buried in, in uh, the book is take action. That's directly from the lips of Dr. Napoleon Hill. Take action. And then for those of us in selling, listening, if you haven't read it, do it. He wrote it as a sales training manual. People have turned it into a deep philosophy. Little religions have been started around it. He wrote it as a sales training manual. Not like L. Ron Hubbard with uh, Scientology. I've met him a couple of times. Uh, who upon after we got close and I became a sales infiltrator with him, I said, tell me that I, I haven't read the book, but I've certainly heard a lot about it. And you built a religion around it. How did you, uh, what did you have in mind? How did you do it? And he said, I was just writing a novel so it would sell. That's all he was trying to do. I thought I never was able to take that seriously because it smacked of a novel to me. Well, it, it, he, he told me it was. Uh -huh. And then The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale, the largest selling non-entertainment recording of all time, was written when Earl owned an insurance agency and had a sales meeting every Saturday morning. And one Saturday, he wasn't going to be there. So he was a quick writer, a deep thinker and a great voice so he wrote down he told me in 45 minutes or less than an hour he wrote down the strangest secret went into his nearby recording booth recorded it pressed only pressed made one record to be played in that saturday morning sales meeting and it went on to become the largest selling non-entertainment recording by word of mouth they sold the first couple of million Without any advertising at all, just one person telling another, you won't believe this when I heard it. Dr. Hill was writing a sales training manual. L. Ron Hubbard was writing a novel. So it, it, it is what you take it to be and what becomes important to you. One of the reasons, this is a little off subject, but one of the reasons I had an opportunity to really knock a person the other day who was a liar, now dead, but a liar, cheat, and thief, a real con man, a living, breathing con man. And I had an opportunity to make a good deal of money by writing and recording a little thing about my experience with this person. And I turned it down. And here's the reason I turned it down. He's dead. So no harm would be done. There's no company anymore. But uh, I turned it down because I knew that thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, had turned their life around based on his teaching. And they don't need to hear that everything he taught them surrounded a huge con. Because they, they were, it's like, I don't need to hear, he, he wasn't, I know, knew him deeply and personally. I don't need to hear that Earl uh, Nightingale did some horrible thing in the past or that Dr. Hill did some horrible thing in the past because what it did to change my life is so important to me. I, it, I, I put blinders on. I've had the opportunity to hear bad things about various people that were important to me. And I've chosen not to do it if their effect on my life was positive and on the most other people. So uh, that's the reason you, you don't hear me talking about, well, here behind the scenes, here's what was really going on. People just, they don't need it, especially if it was an influential person. They really don't. And I don't understand why anybody would want to, if it's somebody who really impacted you, their work impacted you, you are the better for it. Right. Let them rest in peace. Absolutely. And... Let their word, let the word go forward. 
I've heard lots of things. I've given you this example before, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carney. Very impactful book in my life, in right. lots of people's lives. Charles but Manson I, I, being one of them. Yeah, but I had an opportunity to go, whoa, maybe that was all wrong when I discovered that it was the only book Charlie Manson had in his cell at San Quentin. He said it was his Bible, and he couldn't have built the Manson family without it. And I went back home that night and got it out and started over the next few days rereading it to make sure I hadn't missed something. Well, what it was was a great message of how to work with people and so on put into the hands of the wrong person. And so the person I'm thinking about that I talked about earlier that I had a chance to run into the ground, he worked for me and we were friendly competitors etc. Uh, that's the reason I didn't. Is the, the message was right. I would agree with 95% of what he said out loud. And if that's all you knew and heard, then super. Run with it. You don't need to know the background. I agree with you. That's, I've, you know, I've got Zig's books. I've got your books. I've got, I've got hundreds of books in here. I don't want to know every little bit of thing. I don't want to know. You know, right. I know who you are. I know who you and I are friends. We have been for a long, long time. But I don't need to know the ins and the outs of your life other than what you want to share with me. If I have questions, I'll ask them, but I'll ask them directly to you. Right. And that's what a customer will do if you've infiltrated them, if right. you're lis listening to them, and if you truly understand that you are either the reason they buy or the reason they don't buy. It's probably you. Well, it's undoubtedly you. I promise <laughs> you it is. And, you know, you mentioned something that first 15 seconds when somebody comes into your office and you're making that, you know, that external review and your internal review going, oh, I don't know about this. Let me give you a hint. Don't douse yourself with perfume. I'll throw you out. Okay. That's nasty. Sigmund Freud said... I don't know what the context was, but in, in results, somebody asked him, how do you make decisions? And I guess the point was, it's probably more complicated to make a decision when you're as smart and as insightful as he allegedly was. You have almost too much information. And he, he said, I flip a coin. <laughs> I said, what? what? <laughs> Sigmund Freud flips a coin? He said, yeah. <laughs> Tails, I do it. Heads, I don't or whatever. Uh, but he said, I decide heads, uh, we go forward. Tails, we don't. And then I flip the coin, turn it over and slap it down on my wrist. And in that split second, I decide, I check myself. Am I happy it turned up heads? Do I wish it turned up tails? Whatever. So no matter what it is, I go based on how it made me feel. That makes sense. I actually yeah. can understand that because it you forces that, it out. It does. It take you know, instead of you just going, I don't know, or, oh, heck yeah. And then, I, you know, you have buyer's remorse 10 minutes down the road. But mm -hmm. if you take the time to flip that coin, it now puts you in a whole different mindset. And you're saying, okay, was that a good thing or a bad thing? And you have time to make that decision. I think that's brilliant, actually. Well, it was Freud. Oh yeah. So, so it's supposed to be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I was just listen, Ben, I know you have got, I mean, you've been doing what you do for a very, very long time. And you have maintained some very long-term relationships with clients that still work with you. Maybe mm -hmm. some of them haven't been around at all for 20, 30 years and they pop up and say hi. What practices or principles do you attribute to that success? Uh, treating people right. And I don't, I'm not claiming I always did. And I've gotten better over the years and not lying to them and integrity and not exaggerating and so on, but, and then maintaining it, which in today's world is so much easier in the, in the old days of cards, letters, and, you know, postcards and phone calls, it was much easier to, uh, have a great contact and let it drift for years. I think I told you, I called an old friend of mine, Vance Powell, who was one of our vice presidents of sales uh, in the Southwest. And I called him, called the number I had. And 
He had a very distinctive uh, accent, Lubbock, Texas. And so I said, hello, how, how, how can I help you? And I said, Vance, this is Ben Gay, uh, a voice from your past. And he said, well, thank you for calling, Mr. Gay. And the little bell went off my head. Vance didn't call me Mr. Gay. We were first name. And uh, uh, I said, uh, this is Vance Powell, is it? And he said, yeah, well, this is Vance Powell the third. Oh. Uh, and I said, all right. Uh, I, I think I saw you when you were a little baby or something. Is your dad there? And he said, Mr. Gay, he died 30 years ago. Oh. Now, today, that wouldn't happen. No. Time and distance, as I asked a priest friend of mine one day, he lost track of some people that we had as mutual friends. And I said, I, I thought I could call you and I would just immediately get their phone number. And uh, his name was Miles Riley. Father Riley said, Ben, time and distance take their toll, which made me feel better about some of the people that I drifted away from or they drifted away from me, because that's just actually true. I've shaken the hands of over two and a half million people, eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, and I'm not in touch with all of them. But thanks to today's technology, I'm in touch with many of them, uh, hundreds of thousands. And the reason is I stay in touch, if only through drip marketing. And to me, drip marketing is reminding you that I'm alive. In, uh, on Facebook, almost every day, Monday through Friday, I post something about something I read that morning or learned or was in my notes or what have you. And I hope they're good, and I hope they're either uh, filled with knowledge and wisdom or sometimes just funny. But what I'm really doing with that is saying to the world, I'm Ben Gay, and I'm still alive. If you need me, reach out. I'm here. So there's, there's no reason anymore or less reason to lose contact with people. But what I did in the early days to answer your basic question is, as best I could with no technology to work with, I stayed in touch with people. And if I was wrong, I apologize. I've given money. I gave back the tuitions to, uh, I, I don't remember, 50 people, 75 people in Fresno, California one night. Uh, they paid to come see a speech. I think it was a hundred dollars a head or something. It's not really important. And there were probably about a hundred people in the room. And for various reasons that I won't bore you with, I didn't give a good presentation. My head wasn't in it. My presentation uh, power was down. Uh, it was just, I, I'm glad it wasn't recorded or if it was that it's never popped back up again. So at the end of the evening, knowing that, I said to them, this was not my best. I will give every one of you your money back. Just make sure I have your name and mailing address on a business card or something before you leave the room tonight. And they didn't all turn them in, but 50 or 60 people did. And I mailed them back their checks, took a week or so to write them all out, mailed them back their checks. That I am still generating business off of that. And that was over 30 years ago from people. They'll say, I love these. They always start out with, you You don't remember me, but, you know, you don't remember me, but I was in Dallas 35 years ago, fourth row, second seat in, yellow shirt. And I go, oh, yeah, <laughs> of course, I remember. Uh, but in this case, it was, I've I've heard recently, within the past year, someone has said to me, you don't remember me, but I was in Fresno one night uh, to a seminar, and you said, he said, I thought it was good, but you said you didn't do a good job and sent me my money back. I have told so many people about you and your books and so on over the years, and now we want to hire you for a seminar, and uh, paid full boat, $12,500 plus expenses uh, to have me come in and talk to their people. That's because 30 years ago, let's say, I was honest to a group in Fresno. I screwed up. I'm sorry. Here's your money back. Integrity. It's yeah. If people understand that you have integrity, they're going to forgive an awful lot for as yes. long as they can. But if they determine fairly early on that you have little to no integrity, don't mess with them because they'll come get you. 
<laughs> I've seen that happen. I bet. <laughs> I bet you've seen it happen to other people, but yeah. not you. It's, it's crazy, but people, and I, I talk a lot about spidey sense. I depend a lot on my spidey sense, which is basically my my gut going, don't do that. <laughs> okay, that one's okay, but I I really do depend a lot on my my instincts and my intuition. I don't think I'm alone in that. In fact, I know I'm not. We are all cataloging. We're watching. We're listening. We're comparing. You may not see it. You may not know it, but you may have been just dismissed forever. Yep. Be careful. Be careful out there. Be you. Be the best version of you that you can be. And as Ben says, y'all, if you're going to be selling something, it has to be the best thing that you've got and you need to be able to back it up and why wouldn't you it it makes life so much easier you know i'm a salesperson i'm not in this to make friends i got plenty of friends i'm in it to make money uh via integrity good product and so on so why would i sell something i know is crap when there are so many products in that category that aren't I used to have a thing I don't have. I think it's on the computer now called the Thomas Register. And it, it looked like an Encyclopedia Britannica. It was about 15, 20 volumes. And one of my purchasing agents, as he left the company, he said, I'm le- you bought it and it's yours. But he said, you wouldn't miss it if I took it. I'm leaving the Thomas Register with you. And I said, why? He said, because every product in the world the little, you know, on your shoelaces, that little plastic thing that wraps around the end so it won't fray. That thing right. has a, it has a name, it has a manufacturer. It's in the Thomas Register. I mean, everything on Earth that's for sale is in, or was, I assume they still do it, was in the Thomas Register. So my point in that is, I, I'm not the only one selling cars. I'm not the only one selling houses. I'm not the only one. Houses is a great example. They all, all the realtors have access to the multiple listing service. So you're down to what realtor do you like? Not the house you're going to live in eventually, but what realtor do you know, like, and trust? And because they're all selling the same houses. I don't care who you give the listing to. Every other realtor in the area can come sell, show that house, sell it and get half the commission. So it's not the product uh, unless it's a bad one. It's you. So why would you sell a bad product? Get the very best that you can. Realtors is a great example. Uh, don't show them the houses that you know have problems. There are plenty of houses that don't have problems. Don't show them the house where the owner's desperate, so he's overpriced at $100,000 to try and pay his old debts and so on. Put yourself in the shoes of the customer. I always ask myself in any selling situation, even no matter how insignificant it is, I check myself. One of the last conscious thoughts before I begin talking to the person is, how would I want to be treated in this situation? Beyond all the generalities, you know, greet me nicely, pay, you know, pay respect and so on. But how would I want to be treated in that situation? And I treat my customers that way and therefore i have customers that go back uh, this is one of the advantages one of the few advantages of old age i have customers that go back with me 50 years who who will call me today they and it's just assumed they're calling me and they're going to buy whatever i have or ask me who sells it i'm one of those people that that's the, the guy you call when you don't when you don't know so i refer a lot of people to people because they don't know who to call but the call or the sale is based on the way i treated them 50 years ago right we were talking about uh, earlier about no matter how many people or how few or whatever treat them all give them everybody the full uh show 50 years ago i held an opportunity meeting as a favor for Merle Frazier, who we've talked about. He couldn't make it to some meeting, I think, in Jackson, Mississippi. I drove through a blinding rainstorm, got there, uh, had to change my clothes again because I couldn't get in the house. I mean, couldn't get in the building without getting wet. And the room was set up for 500 people, and there were two there. Two. 
but I've done business with those two. I got an email from one yesterday and got an order from one within the last 30 days or so from 50 years ago. And they always mention, uh, do you remember that night in Jackson, Mississippi? And they, they laugh because we had a script started out. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ben Gay. I'm a general distributor with Holiday Magic Cosmetics, et cetera. And you said, you came out and you said, do you mind if I go by the script? Because it's the only way I know how to present this. And they said, no, go ahead. And I said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Although there were only four of us in the room, Jimmy Rucker, me, those two, and they were all males. But good evening, ladies and gentlemen. They said, we just, we laugh about that. We appreciate the honesty. We did business with you. It was actually with Merle Fraser, but we did business and went on to become leaders in the company. And it all started with that presentation, as does today's order 50 years later. Right. And, you know, I'm glad that you, you mentioned real estate because when I bought my house, I was 90 miles away. And I had been hunting for house. I'd sold mine. I was in a rental, which I despised. And I needed a house. And it was hurricane season. Everybody, and we had hurricanes. But I won't go through all that trouble. But I was 90 miles away. And I had turned down every house that this girl, you know, had me look at. It's like, no, I want trees. I don't want flat. I need windows. No dark paneling. No HOA. I was more clear about what I would not have than I would have. And she called me and she said, Denise, you want this house? And I said, I do. And she sent me the pictures of it. It had been listed that day. It was built for me. I kid you not. I bought that house, this house that I'm sitting in right now, before I ever saw it, I paid, you know, the, the down payment. I signed everything. She drove me over here. I didn't get in this house until nine o'clock at night. But I trusted her. Hmm. Yeah. And she listened. He did. The The house had, the home now, had trees around it, I assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, it had, had some elbow room. It didn't have dark paneling in it and so on. Because she listened and went and found it for you. I said to a nice lady who helped settle me when we first moved into this area, uh, into a rental to start with, and rent got our office space to start the National Communication Center, etc but she said i know you're going to want to buy something what do you want and i i was totally wrong on this i admit but it wasn't her fault she was listening i said you know what i've wanted i worked with buckminster fuller and he designed the dome home i've always wanted a dome home ever since i met him turned out i didn't and then no. was, turns out everybody who has a dome home knows what i'm talking about they leak yeah <laughs> among other problems. and uh, But anyway, that's what I wanted. And I said, or I've always wanted an A-frame. That was from, as a young person, we used to go up the lake and I had outside of Atlanta, Lake Sinclair or Altoona or one of them. I had a friend whose family had a big A-frame up there and I just found that fascinating. So dome house or an A-frame. 48 hours later, Jan called me and said, Ben, I got something you got to see load your wife up in the car and, and come over to the office and we did she drives me down a road 10 acres of property when i said i'd like some land because i was a city guy who'd moved to the country so i figured you're supposed to have land so this was 10 acres a dome house on top of a hill with a beautiful view and on five sides of the dome house were A-frames sticking out, A-frame in the dining room, you know, the bedroom, each of the bedrooms and and so on. She said, you want a dome house or you want an A-frame? There's one of one and five of the other. Sign here, she said. <laughs> I said, oh, is it reasonably priced? She said, yes. I said, okay, I'll take it. Turned wow. out it was not the house of my dreams, but that wasn't her fault. She listened carefully and went and found a dome house, a dome house, A-frame combo. I'm trying to picture it in my head, and I can't manage it. I just can't. Well, picture the front door of a dome house. Uh, yeah, that, that was an A-frame. Right? Uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was a that was an A-frame. You know, built into it. So when you got inside, you noticed the inside of the dome primarily, but the light came in 
through where the A-frames were. I repeat, if you, anyone listening, do not buy a dome house and do not buy a dome house A-frame combo. But she she did exactly what I asked for because she was listening. There you go. Well, my realtor, God bless her, said, listen, I need windows. I need to be able to see out. I've got floor-to-ceiling windows. I've got high ceilings. Mm. It, it's wonderful. It's the perfect house for me. And I've got pecan tree. I'm very happy here. Listen, we are running. And thank you for sharing all of that. We have, um, we're running out of time, though. All right. I know we do this every week. It's like, oh, man, but I got more stuff to ask you. But we've got next week. So anyway, where can people find you? Where can they find your books? What I'd really like to ask people to do is get these, the two books, the closers one and two, and follow along with this. I mean, it's a terrific way to learn the, the, the impact of the book is, is great when you're reading it. But when you're listening to Ben talk about this book, that's a whole nother level. I agree, and I appreciate that. Uh, how you can reach me, send me an email if you got something you want to talk about or ask. That's B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the numeral three, BFG3, at DirectCon, short for Direct Connect, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N dot net. And uh, I answer all my emails or at least look at them if they need responding to. I do it. If you want the books, the closers series, and if you're in selling, you want the books, uh, go to, I'll send you to a place that has special pricing, lower than I sell it, and free shipping and still has a lifetime money back guarantee and is still signed and dated by moi. So go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash. This is all one word. Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. Orders in by two. It'll be shipped to you that day. So you'll have them in just a few days. And I repeat, they all come with an unconditional lifetime money-back guarantee. Now, what you need to know is how to reach Denise Griffiths and and uh, take advantage of her tremendous knowledge of social uh, media and uh, websites and so on. She's the best in the industry. Tell them how to do that, Denise. Thank you, Ben. I am a web developer by trade. Honestly, I think and sleep and dream and code. I'm not kidding. I'm known as a nerd in stilettos. That is no joke. It looks like Nordstrom's walked into my closet and threw up all over it. I've got shoes. I've got them everywhere. But I'm a nerd. So there you have it. But you can find me at yourofficeontheweb.com. That's my agency. One that Ben and I are working from is Your Partner in Success Radio. Brand new website. It's going up today. Putting the the finishing touches on i'm really excited it's party your partner in success radio.com and my email address is mail m-a-i-l at your office on the web.com and you can reach me toll free 888-719-6711 honestly ben and i are everywhere i mean you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting one of us we're on linkedin and facebook and i'm on other you know multiple platforms so just look for us we love to answer your questions so be sure to ask us questions it can be about sales it can be about napoleon hill dr napoleon hill ben has some fantastic stories it can be about web development it can be about podcasting i'm teaching and consulting with new podcasters all the time so look for us and i do encourage you to adopt the valuable insights from Ben that he shares here on the Closers Inner Circle podcast. And you'll be able to watch your business flourish in competitive markets. So Ben, thank you. Oh, I have to do, I have to ask, what are we going to cover next week? Next week, I was just flipping through the Closers part two, and I thought it would pick up neatly from some of the things we just talked about. Page 49, do you own one? Do you own one? I like that. Okay. 
and we'll we'll pick that up next week. Well, Ben, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're here with me every week. I consider you, as I've told you for many years, a mentor and also a very good friend. And I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And the feeling is mutual, including from Gigi, who is, uh, she's not jealous at all. She loves you as much as I do. Oh, right back at her. Hi, Gigi. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week.